This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Football Odyssey. This is your host, Aaron Harris. Today's episode is another installment of our football film review series, and I'm pleased to be reunited with Oz Davis of Truly the Goats podcast to review Saturday's Hero, a 1951 film that follows the college career of Steve Novak, a talented football player with high academic aspirations who attends an elite Southern college on a football scholarship, only to grow disillusioned with the commercialism of big-time college football. Starring John Derrick and Donna Reed, and directed by David Miller, the timely film was released by Columbia Pictures and adapted from Miller Lempel's novel, The Hero, which was in part based off his own experiences as a student athlete at the University of West Virginia from 1936 to 1940. If you all enjoy the episode, subscribe and share, and let us know what you think on Twitter and Instagram. With that being said, thank you as always for listening, and now sit back and enjoy the show. Oz Davis, welcome back to the show, sir. Hey, great to be back. What's going on on Julie the Goats recently? Oh, well, hey, interesting that you asked. Uh, okay, so in the last episode, of course, you may remember a guy by the name of Aaron Harris uh, guested on that when we looked at the film um, Puck of the Irish. Puck non Nagil. I still remember that. That's the only Gaelic I can say. Um, and prior to that, uh, of course, I did. <laughs> I ended up going down a wormhole of about 2,200 years of sports history with hurling, the ancient sport of Ireland. Uh, that, in fact, opened up a whole other can of worms. So I wanted to concentrate. I wanted to do one episode on just um, two dual sports stars in Ireland. But... You know, again, going down the wormhole, you uncover – this is the great thing about sports history is even if you're looking at – for us as Americans, even if you're going back to like 20th century American sport, you, you, you open up these whole other universes. You open up these whole leagues and associations and GOATs <laughs> within these other games and sub-games, right? And so that's what happened with Gaelic sports. So – I spoke with an Irish journalist today, and so I'm finally putting together the episode on Gaelic football. After that, I'll be releasing the full versions of both of those episodes. And fingers crossed, to top off the whole series, I am hoping, hoping, hoping to get an interview with one of the GOAT female athletes of Irish history, uh, one of which is still active. Uh, 40 years old, and she's still playing for the Irish national rugby team. And, of course, rugby is a huge sport worldwide. Uh, not so big in the States. We do have a national team. But, uh, yeah, rugby is a huge game. It's a dope game, too. Rugby is awesome. If you like American football, Canadian football, slash Canadian football, uh, during the off season, check out some rugby. Rugby is a dope game. Yeah, whenever I'm whenever I'm in the off season, sometimes I'll see it on Fox Sports on some of the higher up channels, yeah. and I always I'll always stop and watch it because of its relation to American football. And I I've seen some crazy games too. I think when the um, 
the sevens, not not rugby sevens, but it was the um, the championship where they have seven nations that compete against. I don't remember. Oh, right. Yeah. Seven I don't remember. Nations. Yeah. And I don't remember. Yeah, I think that's the, the name of the competition. And I think New Zealand almost came back from 40 points down, which in rugby is very hard to do. Yes. So, yeah, it's definitely a fun game if you can take the time and learn a little bit of it. You don't have to know all the finer points, but I do appreciate oh, no, it for what course. it is. Oh, no, no. It's like hockey. You know, that's another sport. I know nothing about it, but it's awesome to watch. I mean, yeah. you can get the basics pretty easy. I mean, it's not that difficult. It's 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 a lot like football about the forward pass, more or less. But I was just going to say this real quick, and then we can get back on topic. Uh, coming back from a 40-point deficit in rugby is very difficult because after you score, you get the ball again. Mm-hmm. Right, the other team has to kick off to you. Imagine if it were that way in American football. You could run up some crazy scores in American right. football. Imagine, imagine Patrick Mahomes getting the ball back after he scores the touchdown. After he does the eighty-yard drive and scores oh. the touchdown, give him the ball again. Right? <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna see the Chiefs' defense campaign to the uh, the uh, committee next year, the competition committee, to implement that rule. No doubt. Right. They, they're going to join the National Rugby League. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it does remind you a little bit of like option football in a way when you yeah. watch it. Yeah. yeah. And that would be that would be interesting if there was like a, a minor league team that did did that rule. Make it take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, minor league baseball is experimenting with all these rules this season. Why not? Right. It's the best time to do it. Perfect scenario. OK, so you're joining me for another installment of our football film review series. And today we're going to be reviewing Saturday's Hero from 1951, released by Columbia Pictures. I like a boy who's not afraid to get in there and tear his guts out. I want to see somebody better than these fancy prep school gentlemen playing for Jackson. I'm fed up to hear with gentlemen with their phony talk about the old school spirit and that slop about amateur sport. Amateur? The only amateur sport left in this country is hopscotch. And I wouldn't bet on that if the kids playing it were more than five years old. So this movie stars John Derrick as the star football player, uh, Steve Novak. And the story revolves around Novak's experience playing big time college football and kind of how the business end of the sport really jeopardizes his education and ultimately his self-worth for most of the film. And it's really not the kind of movie that you expect Hollywood to make about college football in the early 50s. Um, You know, most of those movies are very optimistic and are very oriented around teamwork and school pride whereas this movie is much more cynical um it doesn't have the same sentimentism that the other films have and some and i say some but wikipedia actually refers to this as a film noir sports drama which is why i want to review it because film noir i'm a huge fan of and football obviously uh before we go deeper into that realm, I'm kind of curious, how would you define film noir? For you, is it a method of filmmaking, or would you consider it a genre, or do you think it could be both? Oh, it's I would say it's a genre. Yeah, I, I don't believe it's really a method of filmmaking. I, I think filmmaking is filmmaking. I mean, that's probably a popular and somewhat unscholared opinion, but that's the way I see it. I like to think. In fact, I wouldn't even say it's a genre because here we are. We're talking about a football movie. 
right? And like most folks, in fact, you know, the common perception of it nowadays is when you say film noir to somebody, you're thinking Sam Spade, right? You're thinking Bogart, you know, your Maltese Falcon, you know, your mm-hmm. detective stuff. Even like later on, you get double indemnity and stuff like this, you know, so like crime, seedy stuff, right? Dark stuff, right? But it's actually for me, it's more of a style, right? It's more of a more of a trend. Right. Um, you know, you kind of see something like this in the 70s with the Artur trend. Right. Well, in the 50s is the noir trend. And I went back and looked at uh, with the help of newspapers dot com, 640 million pages at your access. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers for a free week. In any case, it's a great website. And so I looked up the reviews from that time period. And these folks ate it up. <laughs> you know, they loved it. They called it realistic. Uh, they say it digs deeper than any movie ever has. Uh, here's one from the Fort Worth Telegram. You know, let's get my stuff out of the way. From the Fort Worth Telegram that says, it is easily the best football movie this observer has ever seen. Hey, it's the GOAT. And we've tried to miss as few of them as possible. Um, Saturday's Hero is a better movie than Newt. Newt Rockney uh, at Notre Dame. Yes, which used to be tops in our book because it hits harder and has more to say. Right. So really, that's what film noir is about. Film noir is about the underbelly. Right. It's about the negative emotional space. Right. That's why it's black. Right. It's supposed to be uh, that stuff that happy go lucky you know, like uh, David Niven comedies, you know, do in Hollywood, right? This is the antidote to that. And again, it was it was a breath of fresh air in the 50s for, I think, a lot of moviegoers. Yeah, certainly, because when you look at some of the bigger budget musicals and war pictures going into that era, and then you contrast it with these really small budget but very well-made crime films that oftentimes cross over with film noir you see really kind of the potential of what that style of filmmaking can do and to me i've always have kind of i viewed film noir i guess when it first came about as a style that evolved into a genre because then you come and see neo-noir as a term when you hit the 70s going into Mm. the independent movie scene because they they typically use that as a way to kind of separate maybe some mainstream crime films with those that have a little bit more of a stylistic influence, whether it's like voiceover narration or maybe some maybe messing with the the timeline a little bit, telling non using nonlinear story techniques. So I think in that sense, it kind of became a genre, but it originally just started off as a style. And a lot of it has to do with thematics. You know, it's about the tragic downfall of the protagonist either through no faults of his own or because of his actions that you just can't escape from. Okay. What would you call, what would you call a modern noir? What, what would you like from the last 10, 15 years? Place beyond the pines. Okay. Okay. Um, maybe, maybe drive to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but yeah. not too much. That's kind of like a good cross between a commercial film, but also having a little bit more of a stylized feel to it. Um, but I, I think for me, just in terms of sheer subject matter, I probably have to go actually Nightcrawler as well with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. sure. Sure. I, sure. I would say, yeah, I would say those are the two films I would say 
above anything else I would consider noir of the past 10, 10 years. Yeah, see, there you go, though. There you go. I mean, to me, it would be hard to it would be hard to call it a genre because I'm not sure that genre films ever die. Like the pirate genre still exists. I mean, nobody does it, right? I mean, you could every once. I mean, geez, I heard that they're bringing back Cleopatra. Okay. I mean, okay, so Egyptian genre, right? Uh, they had The Mummy a few years ago, The Mummy remake with Tom Cruise in it a few years ago. I mean, like, so I wouldn't really want to say that a genre, you know, dies out. And I worry about noir film. I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody makes it anymore, at, at least unselfconsciously. You know, it's almost like it's become second, third generation now from the 50s. Well, yeah, I mean, you see, anytime you see any sort of, and I, I hate to keep saying crime flick because that's you. Know, that's how the two usually meet. A lot of people would consider right. most crime films to be genre, uh, noir, but right. I, I wouldn't say necessarily so because uh, one of the best noir movies in my mind is Sweet Smell of Success, which is about a publicity agent that is pretty unethical, but there's no crime that's actually committed. It's just sort of the atmosphere that's created with that. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity to make those films, but I just don't think the consumer demand is there. Most people would rather see kind of the big budget superhero movies or like we were talking about before we started recording the conversation movies that are based off a true story well okay thematically how about thank you for smoking have you seen that film yeah i have <laughs> i mean that doesn't it's look a, noir that doesn't look noir at all but the, the whole thing is about questionable moral actions of our main character you know yeah well th thematically it has definitely that black comedy feel i think it's just stylistically wouldn't okay. have anything to offer but yeah that is right. a that is a funny example though why? I mean, well, even I, I guess a movie like Pulp Fiction would kind of be in that threshold as well, because it is funny, but it also has serious tones. Well, I've theorized that Tarantino is a genre unto himself, but yeah, it's become that. Yeah, that's 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 a whole other wormhole. Now, um, what about now for this film? Would you consider this a noir? I guess I guess, you know, but the truth is, um, this was a very good movie and a very bad movie at the same time. Um, the football stuff, both on and off the field, is awesome. Terrific. It is. It looks fantastic. I mean, this looks like 50s college football. That's mm -hmm. exactly what it looks like. And again, it's not, we talked before the show about the angles we expect because we watch so much TV. This isn't quite the angle you expect, but it still looks good, right? So it's good. These guys really appear to be hitting. Uh, there's, there's nice blocks being made by the lines. That's the kind of stuff you always look at if you know football, um, you know, stuff like that. Apparently, you know, Wikipedia says that they, they, they shot this in 80 days, but 35 of that was on the field. Looks like it. Mm -hmm. uh, off the field, you believe the teammates. Uh, the teammates were good characters. Uh, the coach was believable. Um, he was a bit on it. He was a bit passive aggressive. And I don't mean that in the classic way that we think of it nowadays, but sometimes he came off as a real passive character. And then sometimes he was like really like really aggressive, mm -hmm. uh, especially when he was being the coach. Um, and of course, the thing that everybody comments on from the 50s to now is uh, the corruption, you know, the uh, the the fact that these guys are getting paid under the table. 
And humorously enough, they're getting paid under the table. But even that is like a pittance compared to what they could be making in those days. In those days. Now, here's here's one of the things that really blew me away about this film. Is not only is it about ex- almost exactly halfway through the movie, some character is, ah, why don't you just pay these players? You know, I was like, whoa, in 1951, right? But what really blows you away about this movie is that, okay, so they're going, you know, like like they're giving these guys, these given the, the university is giving these players these marginal jobs where they have to work for like two hours a month and they get paid a buck a day. So 30 bucks a month, right? And you're going, yeah, but it's not worth it. Okay. If you translate it out to American dollars, that's only about $306 or so. I think the exchange rate is like 103 to 100 or 103 to $10, something like that. And so it's not that much money. Okay. So I get, but they mentioned later on in the film that the university is making hundreds of thousands of dollars on these games. Right. So, again, even though they're doing the illegal thing and that's morally questionable, they're also paying them way too little anyway, (laughs) even if they are doing the right thing vis-a-vis, you know, these guys should be getting paid. Uh, So it was really interesting in that respect. So I could take it or leave it really with all of the personal drama. I mean, here you've got Donna Reed, who's 30. You know, playing like, what, a 19-year-old or something? Come on now. Come on. I didn't buy that for a second. Plus, you know, you get all these 50s scenes where the two of them are lying down at night by the fire, and they're wearing all their clothes. (laughs) Yeah, the the chemistry didn't fit well between the two of them, most certainly. John Derrick is a terrible actor who later became one of the worst directors ever. Um, Directed the twin classics, Ten starring his much younger wife, Bo Derek and Bolero, which by all accounts is one of the biggest bombs, both critically and financially ever made. Um, and, you know, he's just not a very good actor at all. So again, you know, I can take or leave all of the drama, all of the bits that you would say noir, and just look at this thing as sports film. Yeah, it definitely could exist on its own just as a football film. Right. And, from what I read, they actually had USC and UCLA players for the filming of this, and it shows. Well, in, my, in my opinion, if you wanted to show an instructional film for how to tackle, you should look at this movie. I mean, they were really clean-cut form tackles, and they weren't wearing a face mask. But it was really great to see. I, I'm not sure exactly who was in charge of the choreography for the football scenes, but you see great single-wing action. You, know, you see these great uh, mm-hmm. like triple spins out of the T formation. I mean, it kind of looks like a carnival game compared to, you know, some of the stuff you see today, but it really was authentic for the time. And it was fun to watch. You know, it looks like they had spent their time and actually got their bearings down. And our hero is a halfback. Yeah. Wearing number 44. Right. <laughs> which would be a great one for pigskin Daily's uh, numbers series. Yeah. And, and Steve he's Novak. taking all the snaps. Yeah. Like in modern terms, this would be a wildcat. Yeah. It's, it's like, Whoa! If they really got, they really showed some nice football. I and guess, yeah, like the and you see a lot stuff. of, and you see a lot of hook and ladders too. Of course, yeah, that's what's great about it. It's very, it, it's like a turnover back then didn't weigh heavy on the mind like it does today. 
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I'm like you in the sense where I really like the story because of how much it stands out, especially given the time that it was made. And to think about sort of like the commercialism in college football, how it goes back even before this movie. Um, oh, yeah. There was there was a, a book that was released by Michael Oriard called King Football, which in turn was taken from a 1932 book that was written by Reed Harris, who was a student newspaper editor at Columbia. And I believe he played football, but he actually had written a, um, a book about King Football, the vulgarization of the American University, essentially how school administrators were now kind of going all in on football programs and securing, taking funding away from other departments and putting it towards there, how they were coddling a lot of the players, not holding them to an academic integrity. Um, in some cases, also siding with the players saying the money they do get isn't commensurate with the amount of effort they put in. So it is interesting to see like how an issue that has only felt relevant to for the past decade actually continues to go back almost a hundred years. And it's something I, that Megacy put in his book too, and out of their league when he was at Syracuse talking about, you know, shady administrators and uh, practices between players and coaches. I, I can even do you one better. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut in his, I believe first novel player piano, okay. uh, which might've been 1951 or so, right. Imagined a future in which college football players we're getting millions of dollars. Okay. Right. And they were advertising um, their uniforms on television and stuff like this. <laughs> you know, he was calling it because, you know, of course, at that time, as we know, college football was huge. It was bigger than the NFL. And so, and so he, I mean, Vonnegut basically saw that these guys were professionals already. So he just, like science fiction writers do, took it to its logical conclusion and guess what he foresaw the nfl he foresaw like proper professional sports these days um but but yeah and i mean again like if you go back and you look at history um you know i'm looking at articles on this movie and they're like of course everybody knows that there's money in college football <laughs> and it's like nowadays people report this and you know these espn anchors get breathless when they go oh my god there's corruption in college and these guys get paid and vacate bowl slot and, you know, all this stuff, you know, and it's just like, no, man, no, no. Generations have known about this. You know? I, I really would have loved to have been a coach or a player sitting in the movie theater in 1951 and kind of thinking like what what would the reaction be from like these, like this crowd? Would it be more of an outraged reaction or do you think it would have been more of a hush hush? Yeah, that was a good movie and say nothing more about it. Well, okay. Look, it didn't trigger reform, <laughs> right? It's not like, it's not like this movie, you know, was nominated for 8 million Oscars or anything. So, right. you know, this is a ripple in pop culture, this film. Yeah. And I think people should keep in mind Columbia at this point wasn't a massive studio and it was a studio that kind of specialized in yep. these sort of low budget. Now, I wouldn't say this was like a skid row sort of movie, but it, it was in some ways uh, definitely a product of their of the time for the studio, which didn't really invest in big features like you would see from Warners or any of the contemporaries of that time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to understand United Artists goes back to like the 20s. Right. right. Yeah. They're already established. Paramount has been around since the 30s, already established. Uh, United, uh, I said United. There was a there was a third one in there. Uh, MGM 
whatever they were yeah. before then. RKO. Uh, you know, they had been around. Yeah, that's it, RKO, right? They'd been around since the radio days, right? So, you know, and then, you know, here comes Columbia. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're definitely doing the uh, lower budget. Yeah. And something else that stood out to me in this movie was actually the score, and that was Elmer Bernstein. And this was his actual first film score, which would go on to, you know, do the Sweet, uh, Sweet Smell of Success and uh, Magnificent Seven. And it's interesting to hear how this is a, a big score in a way, but it's not as yeah. big as what would come. But it's interesting how he kind of adds these mellow tones to go with the uh, traditional marching band music that you would hear with most college football films. Yeah, again, again, whenever the football's on, yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, otherwise, he's doing this this melodrama stuff. You know what really? I mean, again, what really struck me about the non-football bits, and 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 this extends to the football off the field bits too. So so like anything that involves a proper staging or whatever. Okay, there's a reason why Citizen Kane is so highly regarded, right? Because what he did with that film is. He said, you don't have to do films like Saturday's Hero anymore. You don't have to shoot it in this boring, long, drawn-out scene from a boring angle with a predictable storyline that travels linearly, right? You can throw all of that away if you want to. And this film chose to throw away none of it. But see, I think... It makes it uninteresting. Well, the thing for me about... I came away from the movie thinking this was actually a lot less theatrical than most movies of yeah. the early 1950s are. Because yeah. if anything, I think what actors used to specialize in melodrama, um, John Derrick actually throws that out the window. I mean, it, there are times in the movie where I kind of forget he's right there and he's standing right, right in front of me. Right. But And the thing is, I can't really tell if that's deliberate or not because I'm not exactly sure if the characters in this movie are supposed to be the focal point or if it's just the overall system of college football that's supposed to be sticking out to you yeah but to me yeah but see to me it's like it's not like he's handing it over you know i actually heard this critique i was listening to a podcast on a few good men there's a great film and they were talking about tom cruise's performance in that film tom cruise is very good at handing it over Right. He's he's done scenes with Jack Nicholson. He's done scenes with Paul Newman. He's done scenes with Dustin Hoffman or whatever. And he doesn't get swamped. And sometimes he even takes over. You know, John Derrick is not capable of handing it over. Well, before we go, when you when you mean hand over, you mean just allowing someone else to take over. Yeah. Yeah. Or something else to be the focus. Right. If you have the charisma of a proper A-list actor, like think about somebody like Brad Pitt. You can't stop looking at him unless he does that thing where he magically allows somebody else to be looked at. You know what I'm saying? I, it, well, it's, it's like it's, it's like him and Ed Trick. Like him and Ed Norton Fight Club kind of stand right. out. Example. Yeah. Right. Right. Because Ed Norton is a pretty, pretty good actor, but he's below Brad Pitt. And in terms of charisma, Pitt blows him off the screen. He could potentially every time. Now, Derek, to me, is just like, you know, he just doesn't have it. I mean, like, these scenes when he's when he's with his teacher, Alexander Knox, 
Yeah. Yeah. Here's Knox. Now, this guy, I looked him up on IMDb. He's got like 77 appearances, none of which really stick today. Uh, he's got a few movies that are memorable. But, and, and you know, I mean, he's just blowing Derek away. And yeah. he's just saying lines. He's just being cool. You know, now maybe I'm biased because he's a lit professor, but well, I wish they would have had more of him in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. See, nowadays they would. Nowadays they would. It's like, how would you remake this? Well, that female character would have been a lot stronger, (laughs) you know, right? Yeah, for example, right? Um, yeah, I'm not sure about some of the like, I'm not sure that the teammate gets kicked out of school, you know, for the the film, yeah. Yeah, for I even forget what it was for taking a bribe. I forget what it was for. I think he's. Um, I think he stole money to help his girlfriend move when she was leaving her parents' house. Right. Yeah, something like that. I don't believe. Okay, so that's non-existent. Instead, you have like steroids or something. I don't know. But so I mean, like, like okay, so what would play today and what would not? Like, like what are the universals of this film? Because that's one thing I always look at, especially when I'm talking about a seventy-year-old film. Well. I think what would have happened, in my opinion, I think Alexander Knox, his character, I think Professor uh, Megroth was his name. He would have had a much more prevalent character or he would have had a much more prevalent presence in the film. And he would have almost been like um, like Novak's moral conscience. And you kind of get a little hints of it throughout the film, right, about, you know, he he expected him to be the dumb football player. Like whenever he tells him to stand up and read a portion of a book and he says, hold on now, you're supposed to be yeah, slow and I'm, I'm supposed to berate you. Right. And it doesn't happen. You know, it's like along the line, he shows signs that he's interested in Derek or in Novak because he pursues his education seriously. But then whenever Novak doesn't invest himself in his grades and then that's whenever the booster starts fixing his grades so he can continue to play and go to these you know booster banquets he begins to lose interest in him i think if the movie of today he would almost be like the focal point of the of the film in a sense sort of like the the heroic academic that stands up against the system if you will right right i mean in this movie that character is so predictable yeah right but an actor like knox just takes it to that next level yeah Mm -hmm. he again like like Derek's character is completely predictable too, but yeah. he's just kind of like mopey most of the time. Yeah, very I mean, li- Jesus, I didn't believe that he was smitten with, with uh, you know, the thirty-year-old. <laughs> yeah, well, she even <laughs> Donna Reed. Well, Donna yeah, Reed has she has a line in the in the film when she says, "You always look, you always look like you're about to say something, but never do." <laughs> And that's that's the perfect that's the perfect line that sums up the entire movie. I keep waiting for Tarek to say something to show really some sort of passionate emotion. Oh. And even when he's in pain, you still don't buy that he's actually in pain. No, it, it feels like he took a couple of Xanax before shooting this movie right. every single day on set. And I just I, I think some ways it detracts from the movie, but I'm not even sure if that was deliberate or not. Because right. I, I would be interested in reading the book because the 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 movie was based off a book called The Hero by uh, Miller Lumpel, who actually was a halfback at the West, at University of West Virginia in 1936 to 1940. And I think in part this is kind of based off his experience as a scholarship uh, as a student athlete. So I'm curious if like there was a certain deliberate attempt to make him this sort of like tangible participant. And that's just how it translated to screen or if John Derrick just didn't have what it takes to kind of bring the character to life. And I'm, yeah. I'm inclined, I'm inclined to choose the latter. Yeah. I just, I just, yeah. 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe look, maybe smartly they just banked on the football. No, they banked on his looks. Because, I mean, he, he does look like a stud football player, right? I mean, the all-American, you know, football guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I would just watch the part, right? I would definitely watch the movie again just for the football aspect of it. You know, if you're yeah. if you're listening and you're a football fan, and even if you don't like black and white movies, I think you would still find the footage in this movie fascinating to watch from a football standpoint. Okay, look, the truth is, if you're watching 1951 college football highlights, you're going to see him in black and white. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's you don't true. have a choice. Yeah, you're you know, see if you some... want to see realistic 1950s action done by 1950s football player, you know, just check out the uh, action shots in this movie. That's right. Really good. Really good. That last hit, the last hit, the so-called bounty, you know, the, the dude took the bounty and, mm-hmm. and hit him. Wow. I mean, that hurts. That hurts. Yeah. That's a great football shot. That's a great uh, shot of the hit. Yeah, definitely. I also I really like the, the uh, scene, too, when the coach is up on top of the um, I think he's on top of the bleachers of the stadium with his loudspeaker yelling them to run a play over and over again that they couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I, that's a movie that they would definitely put a scene they would definitely do in a remake where they just keep running it into nightfall until they get it right. But yeah, yeah. And, and if they had done it in the 80s, they would have set, you know, a one hit wonder song to it and had a monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you and I are, are actually also going to be starting a sports movie review <laughs> podcast as part of the Sports History Network called Game Film. Yes, Um, we intend to look at Well, we're going to look. I I think we should probably take the tack that we're going to look at movies of all different sports, um, except American football, I think should probably be the rule. Uh, We have a lot of football here on the Sports History Network site, and you have a football show already. I have a Canadian football show already, not on the Sports History Network, but it is a show nevertheless. Um, so maybe we should do that, but we intend to review at least, or at least do a fairly deep dive into at least three films. Uh, we'll be bi-weekly to start. So every other week, twice a month. And, um, I don't know what else can I say about it? Um, we, we, oh yes. Also, uh, per our great leader, Arnie Chapman, we're going to try and keep a historical bent to these things so we're going to try and go historical now more than likely we'll do space jam 2 but i suppose we can justify that because the original is the greatest sports movie ever made so we can probably do it based on that but in any case three movies every week one deep dive two fairly deep dives Every other week, me and Aaron, it'll be great. Look for it on the Sports History Network. Yeah, it'll be three movies. We'll have one movie that will be the focal point of the show, and then Oz and I will kind of each give a movie that we think would be a good double feature with this film. Um, but, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I've been doing football film reviews on um, for the podcast, but I'm a big movie fan in general, so I'm really excited to kind of do a deep dive into a lot of movies that I haven't seen or they've been on. It's been a while since I've seen them and kind of revisit them with a different mindset. Yes. Film criticism. I, I have died on this hill many times, I guess, um, is a very important feature, I think, of journalist and post-journalist society. And I don't mean film review by democracy. 
You know, I really, really, uh, the bane of my existence is rotten tomatoes. Um, Psychological studies have shown that if you pay for something, you are more likely to like it than if you do not. Okay, so so very much a lot of so-called positive reviews or thumbs up on your IMDb's and your Rotten Tomatoes are based purely on that psychological motivator. Um, nothing is a, is a substitute for a good movie review uh, if you want a recommendation on a film or if you just like talking about film or thinking about film or hearing about film. Um, no substitute for a good movie review. And we hope to provide good movie reviews. Yep, the uh, Siskel and Ebert of sports history fans everywhere. All right. Hey. <laughs> All right, man. I'm really looking forward to having our first episode dropped and uh, really looking forward to launching this new show with you. It should be a blast. Great, Aaron. Yep. Go Jackson. <laughs>